this passage, Lord, I pray that you would please help me to have the clarity of mind, to be able to uh, preach the things that you would have me to preach, to say the things that you would have me to say. Lord, I pray that we can learn this text and be able to grow in, in the knowledge, Lord, and understanding Scripture. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Matthew 21, and in Matthew 21 we kind of uh, uh, enter into a new part of the book of Matthew, and we're coming to the end of the book of Matthew, but most of the events in Matthew 21, definitely from chapter 21 to uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, basically, you know, the next several chapters, all are a description of the last week of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The last seven days that he, uh, before his crucifixion, and of course the crucifixion and resurrection, we deal a little bit with uh, after his resurrection, but most of the rest of the book of Matthew is all set in a seven day period, a a one week period. And in in this chapter, we're going to only deal with the first part uh, of the chapter this week. Next week, we'll deal with the second part of Matthew 21. And in the second part of Matthew 21, uh, Jesus basically, because of what happens in the first part, Jesus kind of begins to teach uh, how he's rejecting the nation of Israel and he will go to a different nation and look for a different nation of Gentiles uh, to be able to further the gospel because of their rejecting of him. And we'll deal with that next week. I don't want to put that into this and and, uh, we want to make sure we take the time to thoroughly explain that. If you look at verse 1, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And this is what's commonly known as Palm Sunday. Uh, The book of John, if you read the parallel passages, tells us that they took palm tree uh, leaves from the palm trees and that's why it's referred to as Palm Sunday. Uh, Verse 1 says this, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Now look at verse 4. And this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying... Now, the prophet that, uh, that gave us this prophecy is the prophet uh, Zechariah. We're going to look at that in a second. But this is what he said. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Verse 5. Tell you the daughters of Sion, behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. So, what we have here is Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he has this uh, uh, triumphant entry into the city, known as Palm Sunday. And you need to understand Uh, why this was done. This was a big event in the life of the Lord. And there's a few reasons why he had to do it, of course, uh, to fulfill prophecy. But the first reason that Jesus had to enter into Jerusalem in this way, it was done to present Jesus, first of all, as God. It was done to present Jesus as God. Notice verse 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass. Okay, So they bring a, a donkey and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him there on. Jesus entered into Jerusalem on an ass, on a donkey. Now, uh, keep your finger there in Matthew 21, and let's look at the prophecy in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. Right before the book of Malachi, you got the book of Zechariah. So if you find the last book in the Old Testament, and then right before that, you got Zechariah. Go to Zechariah chapter number 9, and look at verse number 9. Just so you can see the, the prophecy that's being fulfilled here. 
Zechariah chapter number 9 and verse 9. And for those of you that take notes, if you're trying to study the book of Matthew, I would write down that reference as a fulfilled prophecy in the book of Matthew. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. The Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation, lowly, and, notice this, riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now keep your finger there in Zechariah, because we're going to be going back and forth a little bit. Uh, but I want you to notice, part of the prophecy was that Jesus was riding upon an ass. Now, when we, when we study the parallel passage of Matthew, of Matthew uh, we get a little insight into what's going on here. Keep your finger in Zechariah, because we're going to come back to it. But go to Mark, chapter number 11. You're there in Matthew. So you got Matthew, then you got the book of Mark. Mark chapter number 11, and look at verse number 1. We'll look at the parallel passage of the same event. Mark chapter number 11, and verse number 1. So, you should have a finger in Matthew, a finger in Zechariah, and now you're looking for Mark, okay? And I, won't, I don't think I'll give you any more after that. Mark chapter number 11, look at verse number 1. Mark chapter number 11, and verse number 1, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Oh, good night, I'm reading Zechariah. Mark chapter 11, verse 1, are you there? You're confusing me. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Look what it says. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied. Now, now notice, we get a little bit of more description in the book of Mark than we got in the story of Matthew. Notice what it says about this uh, ass or this colt that's tied. It says, Whereon never man sat. Do you see that? Loose him and bring him. So, they bring a donkey to Jesus that no man has ever sat on, no man has ever uh, rode on. Now, here's the thing. The first time you sit on, and I'm not a, a, you know, rancher, okay? I'm just um, explaining to you what I've been taught. But, you know, the first time, I I don't know, you know, like I said, I I didn't grow up on a farm and I didn't, you know, do all those things. But I would imagine that the first time you ride on on any animal, um, you probably don't want that to be, you know, when you're coming into the city being proclaimed the king and thousands of people are cheering you on. You know what I mean? Just in case that animal is not wanting you to ride on him. But see, they brought to Jesus a, an animal whereon never man sat. And what Jesus was showing was his power over creation. And his power over nature. Where he, where he, you know, he didn't have to worry about getting on an animal that had never been ridden on. Because whatever animal Jesus got on was going to submit to his authority because he was God. And we'll see later on as he goes into the temple, he uh, further... Uh, explains the fact that he's God or shows us that he's God in the flesh. But the first thing that we gather from this as he enters into the city is it was representing the Lord Jesus Christ as God. Having power over creation. Not having to worry about, well, this, this donkey's never been ridden on and we don't know if he's been broken and we don't know if he, we don't know what he's going to do. It didn't matter. Jesus was God and he had authority over all of creation. Next week we'll look at when he cursed the fig tree. And even as he cursed the fig tree, it withered away uh, showing his deity. But not only does the riding into Jerusalem and this uh, Palm Sunday show us uh, represent Jesus as God for us with power over creation, this was also done to present Jesus as the King. Notice, if you go back to Matthew 21, look at verse number 8. Matthew 21 and verse 8, the Bible says, And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees. And the book of John tells us that these were palm trees. So they were palm branches. Why we call it Palm Sunday. 
and strawed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Notice what they said to Jesus. He was writing in, Hosanna to the Son of David. You see that? Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, if you remember all the way back to Matthew chapter 1 when we first started the book, remember when we studied the uh, lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ? And we saw that his lineage, it was divided into different parts. And it started with Abraham. And it showed the Lord Jesus Christ going back all the way to Abraham. But in between there, it was cut by the lineage of David. And it showed that Jesus was a descendant of David and a descendant of Abraham. Both of those are major characters in the Old Testament. And both show two different parts or attributes to the Lord Jesus Christ. By by being a descendant of David... That would give him rights to the throne of Israel. That would make him a king. David, King David, uh, and being part of his lineage, would make Jesus a king. But by going back all the way to Abraham, it would give him rights to the Messiah. You understand that? Abraham was promised a Messiah. He was promised one that would come from the loins of Abraham. And so we have two different things there where Jesus is both king and Messiah. And here, as he's riding into Jerusalem, and they begin to cry, Hosanna to the Son of David, when they would say that phrase son of David, what they were saying is, here is the man who has the rights to the throne. Here is the king. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In other passages they actually refer to him as king. Uh, but go, go back to Zechariah and notice the fulfillment in Zechariah chapter 9. Did you keep your finger in Zechariah 9? Look at verse 9. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, notice this. Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Uh, I don't know if I skipped. Go back to Matthew 21. Look at verse 5. Did I skip verse 5? I read verse 4, I think. I don't think I read verse 5. Notice verse 5, Matthew 21, 5. Tell you the daughters of Sion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon the throne. So notice, it was not only representing by him riding upon an ass that that no man had sat on. Not only did that present him as God, having authority over creation, but as he rode in on Palm Sunday, it presented the Lord Jesus Christ as king, the son of David. The descendant of, of, of David. And he was the king. This prophecy was, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass. So, as Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday, not only did it represent him as God, and not only did it represent him or present him, I should say, as king, this was done also to present Jesus as the Messiah. Remember, we take him back to David, which makes him king. We take him back to Abraham, that makes him the Messiah. This was to represent the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, the Lamb of God, bringing salvation. Look at Zechariah 9.9 again, if you're still there. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh. Talking about his, uh, presenting him as king unto thee. He is just, notice this, and having salvation. That would be a hint towards the fact that this is the Messiah. This is the Holy One. This is one that would save uh, Israel from their sins. Or, or save all of us from their sins. And having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt of an ass. Now go to John chapter 1, just real quickly. And let me uh, show you something about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ coming in on uh, Passover Day. John chapter 1. 
And I'm, I'm going to get into this a little bit tonight, and I'm not going to get into it too much, and probably later on, on a Wednesday night, uh, as we go continue through the book of Matthew, we'll get into this a little more detail, but let me just uh, show you uh, a few things. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 1, and look at verse number 28, John chapter 1 and verse 28. Remember when Jesus first started his ministry, he appeared on the scene, and John the Baptist was kind of the, the big preacher at the time, he was the guy that everybody was coming out to hear and preach, and John said this about Jesus, John chapter 1 and verse 28, these things were done in Beth, Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing, verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, notice what John said about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John said about the Lord Jesus Christ, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He said it a second time, if you skip down to verse 35, John chapter 1 and verse 35, the Bible says, And again, the next day, after John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So, John was the one who was supposed to prepare the way for Jesus. He was the messenger. He was that voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes on the scene, here's how John presented him. He said, this is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Now that is a reference back to the Passover. Do you remember the Passover back in the Old Testament? Let's go there. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter number 12. John represented Jesus as, or presented Jesus as the Lamb. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it is presenting Him as God, it is presenting Him as King, but it is also presenting Him as the Messiah, the one that will bring salvation, having salvation with Him, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Now, in, in, in the book of Exodus, go to chapter 12, in chapter 12, we are given the instructions of the Passover. But before you get to chapter 12, do you remember when, G- when Moses went down to, to Egypt? And do you remember that he uh, you know, was asking Pharaoh to let the people go? And there was nine, there was ten plagues. The first nine plagues were really God showing his mercy to Pharaoh. Because if you study the story, it's interesting. Before, before Moses ever leaves to Exodus, before he ever begins the journey to Exodus, God told Moses that he was going to have to kill Pharaoh's firstborn in order to get, God speaking, his firstborn, Israel. And God already told Moses, before Moses ever went to Egypt, God told Moses that, you know, what was going to seal the deal and what was going to get the children of Israel out of Egypt was when he took Pharaoh's life. Now, you would think, if God already knew that was the key to get Pharaoh, uh, to let the people go, was to take Pharaoh's son's life, why didn't he start with that at at number one? But he didn't. He gave him nine plagues. And, 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 you know, we can look at those plagues and say, well, that was the wrath of God and that was God being mean. But if you think about it, that was nine opportunities that God told God, God gave Pharaoh. Nine times he showed him mercy and said, look, I'm going to give you a warning here. I'm going to let you let my people go. And I'm not going to go for, you know, for your son first. And, and really, if you study the story, it was Pharaoh. If you remember at the end of the ninth plague, Pharaoh looked at Moses and he said, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And Moses said, you, you won't see my face again. 
And that kind of brought the relationship to an end where it forced the hand of God. Really, God was showing mercy to Pharaoh when you read that story. But that tenth plague was a plague where God took the life of all the firstborn. And that is known as the Passover. Remember, they were supposed to take a lamb, they killed the lamb, they took the blood, they, they put the blood on the doorpost, and any, when the angel of the Lord came, or the, the angel of death, excuse me, came, and he, he went through the land, any home that had the blood applied on the doorpost, he would pass over that home, hence, hence the name Passover, and any house that did not have the blood, he would go in and execute judgment, and he would take the firstborn, because as a judgment of God upon uh, Egypt, and of course it is all a picture of salvation. Jesus is that lamb, and even in, with you and I, there is a judgment coming, and you must have the blood of Jesus Christ applied on you in order to be passed over on the day of judgment. Now, this day of Passover became a, a holiday that they were to do every year. In Exodus chapter 12, we are given the procedures for this holiday, this remembrance of what God did for them in, uh, the, in, in Egypt. Are you there in Exodus chapter 12? Look at verse 1. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. So, when they left Egypt, God said, Okay, we're starting over. This is going to be the first month. We're starting a new year right now. And that month, the month Abib, became the first month. Verse 2, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Verse 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month. So notice, In the tenth day of the first month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. You see that? According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. So on the tenth day of the first month, they were, the Bible says, to take a, uh, to them a, a lamb. Okay? Now they didn't do anything to, with the lamb until the fourteenth day. So they had that lamb from the tenth day to the fourteenth day. And here's what they were doing. They were examining that lamb. And uh, God gave them some, you know, characteristics in regards to what the lamb needs to be. It needed to be a male. It needed to be without blemish. Of course, all the representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those few days, they were, they were examining that lamb and making sure that the lamb that they had chosen was the actual lamb that they were to sacrifice. That it was the strongest. That it didn't have any sickness or any problems. That it, that it was perfect. That it was uh, without blemish. And they would, they, they, they would choose the lamb on the tent. And they would have a few days to examine that lamb. Notice verse 6, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 6, and he shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So they kept that lamb until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now notice, what do they do on the 14th day? They kill it in the evening. On the 14th, 14th day of the month, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now, Go back, go back to, to Matthew uh, 21. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to not confuse you, because sometimes this can get a little confusing, but let me just uh, explain a few things to you, okay? Actually, before you go back to Matthew 21, let, go, go to Genesis chapter 1. It's Bible study night, so we can try to go maybe a little deeper than we're supposed to, or whatever. Just try to keep up. If, if, if this makes sense to you, praise the Lord. If, if I lose you, just act like I didn't. And uh, that'll be good. Genesis chapter 1. I-, I want you to understand something about the Bible. 
Genesis chapter 1, we have the first week of creation. Do you remember that? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. Now notice the last phrase in verse 5. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Do you see that? Now first of all, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but this is why we don't believe in the gap theory. Some people say, well, they, they try to you know, bring Christianity and evolution together, and they'll say, well, yeah, there were six days of creation, but you know, the six days actually lasted uh, thousands and thousands of years, and, and, and there's gaps in between each day. And, and look, the Bible says the evening and the morning were the first day. If you continue reading there, uh, if you look at verse 8, the Bible says, And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, the reference to evening and morning is a reference to two 12-hour periods. Uh, a 12-hour period they would call the evening, and a 12-hour period they would call the day, and that would make a 24-hour period. So the Bible is telling us very clearly here that these were 24-hour days. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. Uh, go down to verse number uh, 13. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Go down to verse number uh, where is it? 19. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Go down to verse number 23. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And uh, if you go down to verse number, where is it? 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So, I want you to understand something. That is not how you and I would say it. You and I would not say the evening and the morning were the first day. You would say this, the day and the evening was the first day. Because we get up in the morning and we think that's when the day started, right? So we look at a day as the day comes first and then the evening. But in the Bible, that's not how the day went. They saw the day beginning in the evening. It was the evening and the morning were the first day. Now go back to Matthew 21, and 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 you and you're gonna and I'm gonna re, I'm gonna refresh this for you when we get to it later in the book of Matthew. But this is what you need to understand to understand some of these things that happen in re, in the book of Matthew. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 20 when we saw the the, the parable? Of of the laborers in the vineyard. Do you remember uh, when the householder went out? Look, look at Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder which went out early in the morning. You see that? Okay, remember the evening and the morning, right? Were the first day. The householder went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Now, what time was morning? Now, that verse doesn't tell us, but we can, if we continue reading, we can figure out what time morning was. Because in verse 2 it says, And when they had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and he went out about the third hour. You see, so he went out at the first hour, or in the morning, and hired people. Then he went out the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and he hired them. Skip down to verse 5. And he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And chapter, uh, verse 6, about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? Now, how do we know what these days, what, what these... Uh, what, what these hours correspond to as far as our schedule. Now look at, look at verse uh, 8. 
So when even was come, you see that? Remember the evening and the morning were the first day, right? He started in the morning, hired his first workers. Then when evening was come, or when even was come, verse 8. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his stewards, Call the laborers to give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. So he said, I want you to, the guys that I, that have been working the least, pay them first, going down to the guys that have, got, uh, that have been working the, the most, verse 9, and when they came that were hired about the 11th hour, remember those were the guys that worked the least, those were the guys that started working the closest to eve, even, when they came about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, these lies have brought but one hour. Do you see that? Okay, so here's what we know. If you start working at the 11th hour, and you start working at even, you worked one hour. So what does that make the 11th hour? 5 p.m. Does that, do you understand that? Now, now, now notice this. If you carry it back through, at the 11th hour, if that was 5 p.m., then the 9th hour in verse 5 would have been 3 p.m. The 6th hour in verse 5 would have been uh, 12 p.m. The 3rd hour in verse 3 would have been 9 a.m. And the morning would have been 6 a.m. So the evening, it was a time frame that went from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and the morning was this time frame that went from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And that's what they considered a day. Does that make sense? Now here's what you need to understand about this. Okay? When you go back to Exodus, you have that 10th day of the first month. On that 10th day, they were to choose a lamb. And 14, uh, or on the 14th day, they took that lamb and they killed it. Now remember, who is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world? That's Jesus Christ. He is this Passover lamb. And he had to meet the requirements of the lamb. Now Jesus, later on this week, will be crucified. You say, well, when was he crucified? On the 14th day of the first month. He died on the night of Passover. Now, here's what you need to understand, okay? Their day begins at 6, what we would consider 6 p.m. And it's not really that much different than our day. Because our day begins at midnight. So their day is just like bringing your day, you know, uh, six hours earlier. Their day began at 6 p.m. So what we consider Wednesday night, 6 p.m., they would consider Thursday evening. Does that make sense? Thursday evening, then they would have Thursday morning, then at Thursday at 6 p.m., they would have what they consider, what, you know, the, the next day of the week, but that would be our, uh, you know, we would still be in Thursday. You, you need to understand that it's just a different culture. The 10th day they chose, I said all that to say this. The 10th day they chose a lamb. On the 14th day, they killed the lamb. Jesus met all those qualifications. Jesus came in on Sunday, the 10th, that same day that they were all supposed to be choosing a lamb, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and presented himself as not only God and not only King, but presented himself as the Lamb of God. And then they took three days, or, you know, from the 10th to the 14th, to examine that lamb, because if you remember, and what you'll see here as we continue in the book of Matthew, during that period, they're coming to Jesus, they're asking him questions, they're questioning his authority, he's answering them, he's teaching them, then they arrest him, then they take him before different judgments, and what do they say about him? They say, we find no fault in him. What were they doing? They were examining the lamb. 
Just like they would take that lamb on the 10th day, and they would watch that lamb to the 14th day, and they would make sure that this lamb was clean, and this lamb was pure, and this lamb was strong, and this is the lamb that God would have as a sacrifice. Jesus came in on that Palm Sunday, the 10th day, which was a Sunday, and then the 14th day, they, uh, they examined him, they questioned him, they looked at his character, they said, we find no fault in him, he is perfect, he is the lamb, and then on that 14th day, the Lord Jesus Christ was killed as the pastor. Now, what I'm, tr- what, what I'm trying to avoid right now, but we'll get into it later, is if you do the math, you'll realize that if, if, if that is so, then there's no way that the Lord Jesus Christ died on a Friday. And today we have all these Christians that say, well, Jesus died on a Friday, good Friday, don't eat, you know, I don't, I don't know, I didn't grow up Catholic. Eat fish, right? And then we're supposed to eat fish, don't eat something, you know, good Friday. Jesus did not die on a Friday. There's no way that he died on a Friday. Because if you pick the, the, the lamb on the 10th day, and you crucify him on the 14th day, that's putting you at what they would consider Thursday evening. What you and I would consider Wednesday evening. Does that, does that make sense? By the way, that's one of the reasons we have church on Wednesday night, because of the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. I, I hate to break it to you, he did not die on a Friday. And we'll get into that later, and, and I'll, I'll, maybe I'll hand you out some, some papers that maybe will make that a little clearer. But here's what you need to understand, okay? If Jesus died on a Friday, then, then, then the Word of God is alive. Because Jesus said, you remember when He said, He gave Him the, son of the, uh, the sign of the, of the prophet Jonas, and He said, as Jonas was three days and three nights, notice three days and three nights, letting us know that it's uh, uh, three 24-hour periods. As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If Jesus died on a Friday night, that's not three days and three nights. You understand that? Now, now that may span over a period of what we would call three days, because you say, well, yeah, he died on a Friday, and, and then he was in the tomb on Saturday, and then he resurrected on Sunday. But that's not three days and three nights. That's two nights and, and one day, and if we give you Sunday, maybe two days, but you didn't come close to it. Do you understand that? If he died on a Wednesday night, what we would consider a Wednesday night, he would have been in the grave Wednesday night, that's night number one. You know, uh, Thursday, that's day number one. Thursday night, that's night number two. You know, uh, Friday, that's day number two. Friday night, that's night number three. Friday, that's day number three. Exactly like I said. And on what we would consider Saturday, 6 p.m., what they would consider the new week or the new day, because their day begun on, on, on the evening at 6 p.m., the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected. Actually, probably very, either very close or, you know, to 6 p.m., what you and I would consider Saturday. Now, they went to his tomb on Sunday morning, but remember, when they went to his tomb, he was already gone. The, 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 the stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out. He was already out. The stone was rolled away to show that he was gone. And, uh, and, and we'll get into that as we continue on, so just, you know, stay tuned. But, um, but you need to understand this. Jesus came in to Jerusalem to present himself as the Messiah. To present himself as King. To present himself as God. And he had to come in at this time. 
Because at this time is when they were choosing that lamb, that, that Passover lamb, and he had to have those days to be examined, and he had to meet the qualifications of the Passover lamb because he was God, uh, because he was the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Go back to Matthew uh, 21, look at verse 10. Unfortunately, Matthew 21 and verse 10. Unfortunately, Jesus... And maybe, you know, I, we'll, we'll probably get into this a little deeper later, I think. I, I'm not sure. I, I may not. But we, we teach on this around Easter time anyway, when we do our uh, Lord's Supper. But um, uh, maybe I'll bring a board up here and drive so you guys can, can see it. And if, and if you don't get it, I'll just draw a little cartoons. So you'll be entertained. But look at, look at Matthew 21. Look at verse 10. Matthew 21 and verse 10. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? That's interesting. You, 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 you bring down palm trees, you take off your clothes, you lay them down, uh, you know, Jesus comes in, and, and you're crying, Hosanna, you know, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, uh, and, and then you ask, hey, by, by the way, who is that? You know, that just shows you that um, people are smart, but crowds are dumb. You know, and it's, these people, they, 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 everybody's, everybody's singing palm trees out, and, and, and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're shouting these things about this guy, they don't even know who he is. They said, who, who is this? Now notice, verse 10, And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, uh, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, Notice what they said. This was Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now Jesus came in on Palm Sunday to show what? That he was God? That he was King? That he was Messiah? And did they recognize him as any of those? They just said, Oh, he's just a, a prophet. Not exactly what Peter said about Jesus when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they missed it. They didn't get it. And because of that, they ended up rejecting him. They thought that he was going to bring a, you know, that he was going to liberate them from the Roman Empire. And when they realized that that's not what he was there to do, they turned on him. And a few days later, they killed him. And because of their rejection, in turn, they were rejected. And we'll get into that next week. But let me just show you something else quickly uh, before... We'll, we'll look at verse, uh, skip down to verse 14 just real quickly. Let's read these verses, and then, and then we'll, we'll get into something else just real quickly. Matthew 21, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said unto him, Here's how what they say. They wanted him to stop them from saying those things. And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye not read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went down to the city, into Bethany, and he lodged uh, there. I, I love that verse. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Whenever I read that, I think about our church. You know, when we're singing and the little kids start singing. And they don't even know how to say the word. Oh, you know. We, we're singing, we praise thee, O Lord. And it was back there. Uh, you know. Hey, God loves that. You know, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. And I, I love that. I love having the kids in the service and hearing them sing. Um, look at verse 12. Let's deal with this real quickly. We got, we got uh, 10 minutes. We can do this fast. Look at verse 12. And Jesus went into the, Jesus went into the temple of God. Okay? There was a temple of who? 
God, right? The temple of God. And cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. So there's people selling and purchasing in the temple. He cast them out and overthrew the tables of the money uh, changers. Can you believe that? I mean, just, you, you, you got to envision that. Envision their, you know, uh, envision the church you used to go to when they had that room that they called a the, uh, bookstore and they had that table where they had all that money. And imagine Jesus just walking in and just taking that table. Like, just change and dollar bills just flying everywhere. That's what Jesus said. Over through the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. He's just, where they're sitting, he's just throwing their chairs, he's throwing their, you know, this is, this is, this is different than the Jesus from your little, you know, Bible series. You're, you know, your little effeminate Jesus with his long hair. It's not exactly the picture that the, the Bible, point of, you know, Jesus walks in, I mean, you gotta think, Jesus must have been a pretty, you know, uh, mean looking guy. I mean, he, he must have been, you know, because uh, uh, you would think, you, wouldn't you think, if, if, if he was the guy that, you know, that you think, the guy that, the picture that you have of Jesus, your little long-haired, blonde, blue-eyed Jew or whatever, you know, your little effeminate Jesus that you have a picture of, if, if, if that was the Jesus, don't you think these guys would have just like, you know, just manhandled him and throw him out of the temple? I mean, Jesus is coming in and they're running away. This is a manly man. This was not, he was not, you know, effeminate. Look at verse 13. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. And by the way, to put a face on Jesus' idolatry is what the Bible teaches. He said, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And this is a quote from Isaiah 56 and verse 7, if you want to write that down. We won't take the time to look at it, but he's quoting Isaiah 56 and verse 7. And uh, Jesus does not want anyone using the temple of God uh, which is the house of God to make money by selling merchandise. And, and today, just real quickly, let's just look at a couple of references. Go to First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three. You find all those T books. You got First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. Look at First Timothy chapter three and look at verse number fifteen. First Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen. I, I would have loved to have been in the temple that day when Jesus walks in. You know, it's just mad. You know, that's why Jesus was a Baptist. You know, he just walks in mad. He's just throwing stuff. He's throwing chairs. He's yelling. First Timothy 3.15. Notice what the Bible says. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Notice, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So, today, what is the house of God? The church. Now, when we, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building. A building not a church. The church is the, this is the church, the congregating of believers, okay? Today, the house of God, the Bible says, but if I tell you long, that I may know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, okay? So, Jesus walks into the temple of God, which, and he calls it my house, so it's the house of God, and, and he says, I don't want you selling here. He said, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but yet made it a den of thieves. And in, in other passages, he says, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And, and what we get from that is this. Jesus does not want us selling or making money in the house of God. This will include churches, which is virtually all churches today, which sell things to their congregation. I don't know if you notice this, but at Mary Baptist Church, we don't sell anything to anyone for any reason 
We, we don't have a bookstore and we never will. We don't, you know, we will never sell you a cup of coffee or a donut. Everything that we do at Verity Baptist Church will be free of charge. Why? Because Jesus said, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And these churches that want to have their little coffee stand and sell you a cup of coffee and want to have their little book stand and sell you a book and want to tell you the CD from the pastor's sermon, they're, you know, do you think Jesus would be happy with that church or do you think he'd be walking in mad and angry and taking things and throwing stuff? I mean, honestly. Sometimes people say, Brian, you know, sometimes you preach it and, and, and you, you kind of seem like you're upset. Why do you preach? You know, I just, you know, I just read this little thing about what would Jesus do? And I thought, well, that's what Jesus would do. <laughs> you get mad. You get mad at sin. And really what you should be asking is, what would Jesus not do? That, that's the better question. But uh, we shouldn't sell anything. Now, Lady Baptist Church, we, we take an offering. Taking an offering is scriptural. And we receive, you know, off- offerings that way, but we don't sell. Because we are not to make merchandise off the house of God. So, but not only should churches not be selling, but, but you guys said this would also include people coming to church to sell. You shouldn't come to church to sell. Look, I'm, I'm all for businesses, and, and I, think, I, I think I shared with you a couple weeks ago, I was going through my church uh, prayer list, I was going through all the different families and names of prayer lists, I started highlighting uh, the, the, the business owners of our church, and I think our church has, uh, I, I think I counted eight or nine business owners in our church, and I'm all for that. I think owning your own business is the way to go, it's great, you know, if, if you're able to do that, you know, I, I'm all for doing that, but let me tell you something, don't go start a business business and then come to church and try to sell your product. Don't, don't come here trying to sell your Amway or your Mary Kay or your Kirby's Vacuum or your Tupperware or whatever it is you got to sell. It's wrong. They were of God. Jesus was upset that they were making merchandise of God's people. They were there to worship God, not to be sold to. And today, and, and, and a lot of these people, you know, they, they, they saw Mary Kay, and then they'll go and they'll tell them, oh, go, go get connected to church. And sometimes people have no interest in church, and they'll just come to church just to sell to people. And it's wrong. And you ought not do it. And if you find people doing it, you know, throw their little stand down, and, you know, <laughs> take that money out of their hand. You know, maybe you know, just tell me, and I'll take that. Okay? Don't do that. But you shouldn't, you, shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't sell in church. You shouldn't come to sell in church. And, uh, you know, because the Bible says, Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, we're all for you selling. We're all for you profiting. We're all for you having the greatest business. You start selling Mary Kay. I want to see you driving in that pink Cadillac. I mean, just do it. But not here. Because we are not to make the house of God a house of merchandise. Alright? Now, let me just give you uh, a, a couple thoughts while we're on the subject. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We've got to finish. i got three minutes. We can do this fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me say this uh, for, for our, our church people. and We're just talking about it because we're talking about it. So, we don't have any problems that I know of. But Let, let me say this for our church family. If you do business with people in the church... No, no, I mean, that's, that's probably better, but if you do business with people in the church, make sure that they always come on top. Make sure that, they, that they're always, if someone's got to lose in a transaction, make sure you lose. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law, one with another. Two, two church members, two brothers in Christ taking each other to the court, to small claims court, 
Why do ye not? Now notice what Paul says. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? Jesus would have said it this way. Why don't you turn the other cheek? You know, and, and, I, and I'm all for it. We've got people here that do business and they're great at the things they do. And I hire people from our church to do things for us. And I'm all for supporting our church people and supporting their businesses. If they're not selling to you, you go to them and you ask them, you know, hey, I know you are in this business and I, I like to hire you. I'm all for that. But let me just give you this, this, this challenge. Go into it realizing that if it goes wrong, if it goes bad, if they end up ripping you off, just allow yourself to be defrauded. Allow yourself to be done wrong. And if you can't, you say, well, Pastor, I know, I got this temper, and if someone just ripped it, someone even steals a quarter for me, I'm going to get mad. Then don't work with church people. Go find some unsafe guy, hire him so you can yell at him and get mad at him, or yell at her and get mad at her, and fire her, and not have issues within church. Do you understand that? When I when I need something done and I need it and I know that if it doesn't get done right I'm gonna get upset. Guess what? I don't ask church people. I'd rather go find some stranger that I can yell at. <laughs> but whenever I hire a church pe- a person, you get my wife can attest to this. If I ever hire a church person to do anything, I know that it's gonna be done well. I know they're gonna do a good job. But I go into realizing if they do a horrible job, I'm just gonna. If someone's gonna lose in this deal, it'll be me. If someone's gonna get defrauded, it'll be me. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourself to be the product? Paul said it like this in another book. Go to Philippians chapter 2. You're there in 1 Corinthians. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 3. See, we're a church family. We are to love each other. First, first, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, notice this, let each esteem other better than themselves. That ought to be, that ought to be the Christian motto in business. Let each esteem other better than themselves. And if you can't do that, if you can't do that, then don't do business with church people. And uh, always, always make sure that other people are taken care of. And other, and if someone's got to lose, if someone's got to get ripped off, if someone's got to uh, end up with a deal not exactly how they want it, make sure it's you. And if you can't do that, you don't have the maturity to do that, then just don't do business with church people. That's the advice I, I would give. Don't sell into church. If you want to see, you know, Pastor Menace is a pretty easygoing guy. I don't know if you realize that. I know some of you don't think so. But, um... Ask my wife. You know, I'm a pretty easy going guy. If you want to see Pastor Jimenez upset, you start selling your Mary Kay around here, and we're going to have a talk, okay? Make not my father's house my house of merchandise. What the Bible says. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for allowing us to study the, the Bible together. And Father, I, I know we don't. We, we, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in, in our church, and uh, sometimes I have trouble just forcing people to go home. They like to uh, spend time together so much. And I know we don't have any issues or any problems, but Lord, help us to always, always have uh, a spirit of, of, of esteeming other better than ourselves, of loving others. And if someone's got to lose, let it be me. And if someone's got to come out on the short end of the stick, let it be me. And Lord, help us to always have that attitude that we want to love our brothers. We want to love our our sisters in Christ. And Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be able to study. Thank you for giving us life to be able to study your word one more week. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.